This podcast is for alcoholics that have a willingness to recover from their alcoholism by being taught and practicing the principles of the 12 steps as outlined in the big book and the 12 and 12 of Alcoholics Anonymous. My name is Ilya and I am an alcoholic. Page XIII, forward to first edition, first paragraph. We of Alcoholics Anonymous are more than 100 men and women who have recovered from a seemingly hopeless state of mind and body. To show other alcoholics precisely how we have recovered is the main purpose of this book. For them, we hope these pages will prove so convincing that no further authentication will be necessary. We think this account of our experiences will help everyone to better understand the alcoholic. Many do not comprehend that the alcoholic is a very sick person. And besides, we are sure that our way of living has its advantages for all. Page 63 of the Big Book, How It Works, Chapter 5, the last full paragraph at the bottom of the page. Next, we launched out on a course of vigorous action, the first step of which is personal house cleaning, which many of us had never attempted, though our decision was a vital and crucial step, it could have little permanent effect unless it once followed by a strenuous effort to face and to be rid of the things in ourselves which had been blocking us. Our liquor was but a symptom, so we had to get down to causes and conditions. So, now the work begins. Uh, most of what we've read up until that point was uh, understanding and reflection. Now we're reading a paragraph which is just placed at the bottom of page 63, which is the first place it actually asks us to start doing work. Uh, I would have never been able to find that paragraph on my own unless my sponsor pointed out uh, the meaning because it flows right into the third step prayer and then bang, it's telling me to now launch into a course of vigorous action, I would have just kept on reading and thinking that this program would have just worked as soon as I finished the book. And then I would miraculously be restored to sanity. Um, unfortunately, my, uh, my delusional false hope, um, it, it, it uh, proved it didn't work that way. Um, so I had to actually... Uh, learn uh, the actual action steps now, um, which meant that now it's time to get to work. Um, we'll pick apart this paragraph. Uh, next, we launched out on a course of vigorous action. Okay, so now we're, uh, we're taking vigorous action. Um, let's look up the word vigorous. Strong, healthy, and full of energy, characterized by or involving physical strength, effort, or energy. So as it pertains to this literature, it's most likely effort um, that we're about to take on. A, uh, a lot of effort. And uh, the first thing we're going to be doing is personal house cleaning. The, the first part, the first step of which is personal house cleaning which many of us had never attempted. And through our decision, though our decision, again, there's that word decision, step three, was vital and crucial. It's not gonna have any effect or all at all, or permanent effect at all, unless we follow it up by strenuous effort. So now he's actually saying the word effort. Strenuous effort, not just effort, strenuous effort to face and be rid of the things in ourselves which had been blocking us. So, 
rid of. So I'm not adding things to my life. I'm not trying to put things in my life that weren't there before. I'm actually trying to get rid of things that are in my life and blocking me from what? We talked about that before in step three in 12 and 12. We were blocked from what? We're blocked from the entry of God. Remember step three, page 14, second paragraph? Like all the remaining steps, step three calls for affirmative action. It is only by action that we can cut away the self-will, will which has always blocked the entry of God, or if you like, a higher power into our lives. So uh, these are the means by in which how we let our higher power in, by unblocking ourselves or getting rid of the things that are blocking, that are in the way. And so now we know that we're in a process of elimination, the book is telling us, instead of a process of, of, of addition. Um, and then the last, uh, one of the second to last sentences says, our liquor was but a symptom. Well, the book tells us right there. I mean, how many meetings have you gone to saying, if I could just put down the bottle, if I could just stop drinking, that's the problem. The alcohol is the problem. That drink is the problem. No, it's not. It's a symptom. So if I have a symptom, I have a disease, let's say, and then the disease has symptoms, just like cancer. Nausea is a symptom of cancer. So what is a symptom? In, in al in al in al an alcoholic is called an alcoholic. It has the word alcohol in it, but it is just a symptom. Uh, let's read the definition of that. A physical or mental feature which is regarded as indicating a condition of disease, particularly such a feature that is apparent to the patient. So, as a patient of alcoholism, I have uh, a craving, a physical craving, and a mental obsession of the mind. And so that is the disease, mainly centers in my mind when I put down alcohol, and the cravings are a symptom of my disease. That's, that's basically it. And so when I put down alcohol, my disease doesn't go away. It still needs treatment. It demands treatment, actually. I don't know about you, but when I tried to just stop drinking on my own, um, my disease didn't go anywhere. I was always restless, irritable, and discontented until at once, you know, the obsession became so overwhelmingly powerful that I needed a quick fix. And a drink was what I knew best. And after that, the physical allergy took over and one's too many and a thousand's not enough. So that's the symptom. So the last sentence, so we had to get down to causes and conditions. All right. Well, now the work begins. What are the causes and conditions that I need to get to the bottom of so I can get rid of those things, which we're going to get into in a moment, that are blocking me from the entry of my higher power into my life? So let's read the next paragraph. Therefore, we started upon a personal inventory. This was step four. A business which takes no regular inventory usually goes broke. Taking a commercial inventory is a fact-finding and fact-facing process. It is an effort to discover the truth about the stock in trade. One object is to disclose damaged or unsellable goods to get rid of them promptly and without regret. If the owner of the business is to be successful, he cannot fool himself about values. So Bill's using a business example. Um, think of yourself as, you know, a human business and you have stock and trade in your internal uh, life that is good and bad. Um, and so we need to get rid of the things that are unsaleable. Uh, and those things will be uncovered, discovered in the fourth and fifth step. So first we have to know what they are. Um, so if we compare ourselves to a business, um, if we don't get rid of them, we'll go broke. And in our case, broke means dead. 
and so we have to take a inventory of that. So he uses the words fact-finding, fact-facing, and truth. Well, what does our step say? Off the wall, again, make a searching and fearless moral inventory of ourselves. So, let's break down what the definition of searching, fearless, and moral is. Because as an alcoholic, I have completely different definitions before I actually look them up in the big book than I do when um, I'm thinking about this on my own. So, searching, it says right here, is fact-finding. So now it's time to find the facts about myself. And fact-facing is the next sentence, is the next word is in, this, in this sentence, and that's the fearless part. So I'm taking a, made a fact-finding and fact-facing moral inventory of ourself. Well, what's the word moral mean in AA? It means truth, right? It says in the big book, it is an effort to discover the truth about the stock and trade. So right there on page 64, at the top of the first full paragraph, it defines exactly what searching, fearless, and moral are. A fact-finding, fact-facing, truthful inventory of ourselves. So that should be a lot easier for you to understand. It was a lot easier for me to understand when it was presented to me like that, but I never would have known that if I didn't read the literature and it wasn't pointed out to me. I could wrap my head around finding facts on something or about myself. I can certainly appreciate how facing those facts is fearless. You know, I'm going to have to really look at that. It's things I don't want to look at is fearless and uh, truthful. Now, the word moral can be very uh, much twisted by my alcoholic mind into, I'll start thinking about morality like, oh, I, you know, is, is prostitution moral? Is abortion moral? Is the death penalty moral? Is, uh, you know, uh, ethics moral? I'm going through all these, you know, all these political and business ethic issues and family, uh, you know, what's moral to manipulate and what's not. You know, these are things I'm thinking about. And that's not what the book is telling us at all. Moral is just simply the truth. That simple. So once we um, accept what a fact-finding, fact-facing, truthful inventory of ourselves is, um, we have to understand that we're looking for the for the for the for the items. If they're uh, you know they're they're items, they they will be otherwise classified as character defects that we need to get rid of, so we can um, unblock the entry of our higher power, and that's what we're doing. That's why we have to do a fourth step. If we don't know what those those character defects are, and the causes and conditions of them, then we can't ask God to remove something we don't understand. And this is where the work comes in. So he uses our lives in the next paragraph instead of the business. We did exactly the same thing with our lives. Again, that word exactly. We took stock honestly. First, we searched out the flaws in our makeup, which caused our failure. Being convinced that self manifested in various ways was what had defeated us, we considered its common manifestations. So he uses the word flaws. Now, Bill, again, I had mentioned in prior podcasts, didn't like to use the same word twice. So when we read the literature and we see the word flaws, wrongs, character flaws, defects, shortcomings, he's referring to the same exact defects of character that we're going to get to in just a moment. So flaws aren't any different than character defects and de character defects aren't any different than shortcomings. That may help you. Um, again, read the literature with understanding more than trying to figure out what each adjective means uh, when they all mean the same thing. 
Um, so now we needed to look at what these um, manifestations were. Um, so he gets into resentment in the next um, paragraph. We'll read that. Resentment is the number one offender. It destroys more alcoholics than anything else. From its stern, all forms of spiritual disease. For we have been not only mentally and physically ill, we have been spiritually sick. When the spiritual malady is overcome, we straighten out mentally and physically. So let me stop there for a minute. That's the only place in the book he actually uses the word disease. Um, but like I said, Bill doesn't like to use the same word twice. He also uses deranged. He uses illness. He uses malady. He uses sick. I mean, these are all adjectives of the same word. But the only time he uses the actual word disease, which I find interesting, is when he's referring it to as the spiritual disease. So that means that we've got a formless disease. I had mentioned in the uh, beginning of uh, my podcasts that we have a formless disease. You can't put it under a microscope like cancer and see it. But you know it if you've got it. Same with this disease here, nobody can see. That's why it's really difficult to explain to a non-alcoholic what this disease is, because they don't have it and they can't see it. Even an alcoholic will deny that he has it because he can't see it. So when you have this thing, all right, it centers in the spiritual mind of our, of our lives. And so, yes, it is an illness of the mind, but it's a spiritual sickness. So once we straighten out spiritually, our mind recovers. So that's why we need a higher power. Because if it's a spiritual disease, only a spiritual solution can solve the problem of alcoholism. I didn't say cure it either. I said solve the problem. So once we arrest our disease, then we can continue to treat our disease with the steps and arrest the cancer of this disease, which is a formless form of cancer, uh, and our higher power will remove the blocks that keep us from the peace and serenity that it provides. So that's why we're doing the rest of the steps. And if you can imagine, if you don't cut out the cancer, and these are how he, these are the steps on how you cut it out. And it will regrow if you don't maintain it, okay? This isn't the type of cancer that's, uh, that, 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 that is removed forever or cured. But these are the, these, this is the procedure to do that. And if, imagine if you're skipping, skipping steps in a real surgical procedure, you really think that you're going to get to a solution because you don't like the incision or you don't like that you got to cut something out. You're just going to go ahead and do the parts you like and forget the rest. You see how that doesn't work? So this is where the directions come in. Now he's talking about resentment because resentment is the number one killer. Um, many people go back out, including I have myself over resentments. I repeat anger over and over in my mind when I feel I've been, been slighted or wronged, imaginary or real. So this, this feeds itself off of my disease. This mind uh, resentment feeds itself over and over and compounds and gets larger and larger. and makes me so restless, irritable, and discontented that I have no other alternative but to drink to, uh, to relieve myself. So I um, could easily go back out uh, over the slightest resentment. So... Once we, once we accept that we have a spiritual disease and once the spiritual is overcome, we straighten out mentally and physically. Well, if you go back to the progression of the disease, there are many people who have straightened out physically and mentally and then skip the emotional and then try to go right to the spiritual. Like I said, if you do a procedure and you skip parts you don't like, you won't actually come to the full consummation of the surgery. The solution won't, won't be fulfilled. So now I have to actually look at myself to understand that if I just stop at being physically and mentally um, 
cured if or 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 in the beginning I stay in one through three, and then I'm just like, okay, I feel physically and mentally better. Better. I'm going to the gym. I'm reading books. My job's back on track. Everything's going great. But then I ignore the rest of the program, and then what happens is I'm not spiritually straightened out, because before I'm spiritually straightened out. Bill's going to get into this in a whole nother section of the book momentarily. There's one more category that I need to balance, and that's my emotions. So first it's spiritual, then it's mental, then it's emotion. Excuse me, first it's physical, then it's mental, then it's emotional, and then spiritual. And I can't be spiritually fit unless I address the first three. So I can't skip to praying and meditating and expect that I'm straightened out spiritually. Okay, that's a very important, that's why I went on and on about that, because people confuse that, oh, i am just got to go straight to God and I'll be done. No, you're blocked. You can't, unless you get rid of the character flaws that are blocking you. So, let me continue. So when the spiritual malady, again he uses the word, he uses ill and disease and malady all within three sentences of each other, by the way. Um, so, when the spiritual malady is overcome, we straighten out mentally and physically. In dealing with resentments, we set them on paper. We listed people, institutions, or principles with whom we were angry. We asked ourselves why we were angry. In most cases, it was found that our self-esteem, our pocketbooks, our ambitions, our personal relationships, including sex, were hurt or threatened. So we were sore. We were burned up. On our grudge list, we set the opposite each name, our injuries. Was it our self-esteem, our security, our ambitions, our personal or sex relations, which had been interfered with? So just in these two paragraphs, he's basically listed what it is that we need to do in order to set up an inventory on paper. So when he says on paper, we set them on paper. If you were here in the room with me, I'd ask you what kind of action is setting something on paper? Is it contemplation? Is it reflection? Is it a decision? No. It's physical action. I'm sitting at a desk I'm picking up a pen, I'm taking a piece of paper out, and I'm writing down the people, institutions, or principles which of whom I were angry. Okay? So this is an actual physical act. So it, does, it isn't called an action step for no reason. So I have to figure out how to create this inventory. But Bill gives us an example on the next page. So I am going to figure out who I'm resentful at, okay? Why I was angry. So the first column is who am I angry at? That's a list I make, a full list. My, my, my resentment inventory was like 30 pages long, by the way, because I'm not just dealing with a person. It says institutions or principles. So you got to think, you know, the government's an institution, the resentment towards them. Um, I've got a resentment towards my old high school. <laughs> you know, I've got a resentment towards uh, the police. Um, I've got resentment towards um, towards political philosophies. So these are principles. You know, everything isn't just resentful at, an, at a human being. I'm resentful at everything. So I've got to break down the types of resentments I can have based on those three things. So I've got to be very thorough. Um, this isn't something that I just jot down. I've got to really think about it and make a list of just those resentments. So that's the first thing I'm going to do is make a list of all these resentments that I have. Forget about the reason I'm angry. That comes next. So in the second column, we're making a spreadsheet, by the way. And I will have the spreadsheet uploaded to the Dropbox so it's easy for you to fill it out. But this is what we're doing. Because the next page shows the, a spreadsheet. Um, 
So we asked ourselves why we were angry. That's second column. Why am I angry at the government? Because they took my money. They put me in jail. So that's the second column. All right. So in most cases, it was found that our self-esteem, our pocketbooks, our ambitions, our personal relationships, including sex, were hurt or threatened. So we were sore. We were burned up. So now I'm off to the third column. So if I'm going across, you can start to see that, let's say I have the government is the, the institution. They put me in jail is the reason. And then three, what is it that they took from me? What was threatened? Well, it was it my ambitions. Was it my personal relationships? Was it my pocketbook, which is money? Um, was it sex that they took away? Uh, what, what was threatened? What was it that they burned, that burned me up? Now that column is really, really hard to figure out because those are our base instincts we're gonna get into next. And our base instincts are totally out of whack. That's what self-will run riot is. Remember, I talked about what is self-will run riot. Well, self-will run riot was described um, basically um, on page uh, 60 and 61. Talked about our ego. Okay? So our ego always wants to run the whole show. And when the ego is out of control, the ego focuses on external. And external things are my place in society, my financial or emotional security, and my sexual security. And I'm going to put up a, a handout to break out what all of our external threats are. But this is just a very, very high-level overview that the third column of this is basically what base instinct in me is under threat or what am I not getting that I want and it's always either power money or sex of some kind um, and that can be broken down even further on the handout that I'm gonna put on the Dropbox Drive um, so this is really the work now that we're understanding um, the exact nature of to get to the the fifth step we'll discuss the exact nature of of my wrongs if you will my character defects and the exact nature of those wrongs um, is this third column which means that i've got to really really take a look and study what the base instincts of humankind are you know animals have base instincts they've got to eat they've got to procreate and they need to provide for their other animal friends and family. We are no different. We are human beings who are also aware of, our, of ourselves, okay? We're different than animals in that regard. I'm not saying animals don't have emotions. I'm just saying that we have the ability to project into the future and to remember and expect things from other people and manipulate our environment in ways that animals can't necessarily do. Now that's a whole nother argument, but we still are a mammal, okay? We come from the animal kingdom. And every single animal on earth has base instincts. Whether you're human, you're a gorilla, you're an alligator, a bird, it doesn't matter. You've got needs to survive. And what we do is we take our base instincts to an extreme and we're in extreme fear when they're under threat all right and we're extremely selfish and self-centered as a result of that so if we don't understand our base instincts and what could possibly be under threat then we won't know why we're selfish and self-centered so that we're gonna get into in the 12 and 12 um, in just a moment. So we're going to flip to the 12 and 12. So my point can be proven instead of me just having some kind of theory. Um, and I don't want the listener to wonder, maybe Ilya is just giving us his opinion. If you turn to page 44, 
of step 4 in the 12 and 12, and you go to the second full paragraph towards the bottom of the page, the first sentence there says, Alcoholics especially should be able to see that instinct run wild in themselves is the underlying cause of their destructive drinking. I'll read it again because it's an extraordinarily important sentence. Alcoholics especially should be able to see that instinct run wild in themselves is the underlying cause of their destructive drinking. So instincts running wild. Now you've, we've all heard the expression, oh that guy's got good instincts. He really can get the job done. He can read people. We're not talking about those kind of instincts. That's more like intuition, if you really want to get the words right. As far as Alcoholics Anonymous is concerned, base instincts is our cravings for the three main categories of what it takes to live as a human animal on this world. Okay, All animals need power, money, and sex to some degree. We call it power, money, and sex because we're human. But a lion has, you know, the same types of needs. They need food, which is their security. They have emotional security from the rest of the group or the, pro the family, the pride, if you will. They have um, sexual needs, okay? And they also have um, emotional needs. There's definitely um, emotions uh, involved in, in, their, in, in, in the behavior of animals, of lions. And there's also, you know, the need for power over other, over other lion families for territory. So we're not that much different, okay? But uh, they are what they are. And they behave accordingly to how the universe created them. Um, and we also have these instincts, okay? So I'm going to read the first paragraph of step four in the 12 and 12 and explain that there's nothing wrong with having base instincts because that's not where I'm going with this and neither is Bill. So first paragraph of step four on page 42 says creation gave us instincts for a purpose. Without them, we wouldn't be complete human beings. If men and women didn't exert themselves to be secure in their persons, made no effort to uh, harvest food or construct shelter, there would be no survival. If they didn't reproduce, the earth wouldn't be populated. If there were no social instinct, if men cared nothing for the society of one another, there would be no society. So these desires for the sex relation, for material and emotional security, and for companionship are perfectly necessary and right and surely God-given. So no one's arguing here that you're supposed to put your instincts down and not think or need or want security, companionship, sex, emotional, and material security. No one's suggesting that at all, not even the author of this program. However, when they're misdirected, then we read the next paragraph. There's a sentence in there that says nearly every serious emotional problem can be seen as a case of misdirected instinct. So the alcoholic has misdirected instincts, right? Every human being, non-alcoholic and alcoholic has these instincts, but not every human being has misdirected instincts. And when an alcoholic is always thinking about having their instincts satisfied, then they are bound to harm themselves and harm others. And as a result, they become very spiritually sick and emotionally deformed. And I use emotionally deformed on purpose because the next uh, thing I want to read here is why we do step four. And that's at the bottom of the page of 42 in the 12 and 12 is the third full paragraph. So step four is our vigorous and painstaking effort to discover what these liabilities in each, each of us have been and are. We want to find exactly how, when, and where our natural desires have warped us. 
we wish to look squarely at the unhappiness this has caused others and ourselves by discovering what our emotional deformities are. We can move towards their correction. Without a willing and persistent effort to do this, there can be little sobriety or contentment for us. Without a searching and fearless moral inventory, most of us has found that the faith which really works in daily living is still out of reach. So, first thing he's saying is it's vigorous and painstaking. I don't know about you, but I don't like pain. I drank because it numbed my pain, and it blotted out reality because reality was a painful experience for me. So, I lived in my own delusional world, and uh, that worked for a while. I created my own reality. Um, but now, alcohol has stopped working for me. It doesn't numb pain. My alternate reality isn't real, and I know that. And everyone who lived in it has either left or fleed or is gone. So um, I have um, a vigorous and painstaking um, work ahead of me. Saying that there's no uh, work here, and nor am I saying that it's going to be painless. Um, I'm sorry to say that I can't provide you with that reassurance that you don't have to go through something that you probably would much rather avoid. Um, and I can say that you can come out the other side of it if you do. Um, but um, painstaking means done with or employing great care and thoroughness. Um, and great care and thoroughness is meticulous uh, work, it's uh, attentive, it's diligent, it's laborious, it's hardworking. And these are the words that the dictionary defines Bill's words as. Um, words matter in this book. Um, he's not being grandiose. He's being direct and exact with his words on what's required. So if we don't make a list and he starts with resentments, because it's the easiest one, because we all know who we're pissed off at. So he starts with resentments. Um, and resentments will lead us back to drinking eventually, drinking or not. So we, we do have to, um, to make this list and start out easy, because resentments are all top of mind. We all, we all hate somebody or something, or mad at somebody. Um, so that's why we have to get to the causes and conditions. So the list and putting it on paper is a minute labor-intensive process because we have to go back as far as we can remember. Because there's a lot of things in our subconscious that we've got to sit back and think about and bring them to the conscience and put them down on paper. Otherwise, you're not going to remember. Um, and you need that paper when, when, when we go to step five. You don't burn it. You need it. Um, so we have to see here in the next sentence after vigorous and painstaking I just talked about, uh, the word warped, our natural desires have warped us. Well, I talked about what our natural desires are. Natural desires are somewhat outlined in the big book as well. Okay. Um, what I just read on, uh, on page 64 and 65, you know, our natural desires, uh, society, self-esteem, pocketbooks, financial security, ambitions, another word for what do I want? Do, how do I want money? Do I want self-esteem? Our personal relationships are other people. They don't even need to be a close person. It could just be your relationship with, I don't know, anybody that you run into during the day. How do you treat them? Um, your sexual relationships as well. Even if you're not having sex with them. Did you want to have sex with them? Sex was involved. It was on your mind, even though you didn't have it. Um, and if you did, and you did something harmful to them, then that needs to be addressed. You know, who was hurt? You know, that will get to later. But the point is, is that these were threats that we were experiencing. Not getting what you want is a threat. There are other people in your mind are blocking you from getting what you want. So um, we're resentful towards them. 
so we uh, basically, uh, Bill calls it a grudge list. It's a resentment list, which is the same thing. And so we had to uh, understand where um, we were hurt and how we were hurt. Not what they did to us, but what natural desire within us was under threat. And this whole fourth step essay in the 12 and 12 is on this third column. Okay, I'll get to the fourth column in a minute. But the third column is what is under threat in me. It's my base instincts and my natural desires that all animals have. Because I am an animal, but am I going to behave just like an animal for the rest of my life? Because that's what I'm doing. That's what an alcoholic who's progressed has basically be, become, is a primate animal, you know, just working off of his own fears that he's not going to get or she's not going to get what she needs and wants. That's what they're terrified of. And their needs or wants have nothing to do with other people or compassion or love or kindness or patience. It has to do with their own self-centered needs. And they all boil down to the natural instincts that God has provided us with that we've abused and taken to extremes. And that's why we suffer. Um, and that's why we need alcohol to numb the pain of that, of the result of that. So without um, a willing and persistent effort, and then he uses the word, um, excuse me, um, after I use warped, after the natural desires have warped us, he uh, uses and says the words emotional deformities. So I go back to, again, once we straighten out spiritually, Bill says the physical and the mental we straighten out as well. But I need, before I can get to the spiritual awakening, which is where? In the 12th step. It's at the bottom of the program, at the 12th step. I'm not spiritually awakened until I'm physically, mentally, and emotionally okay. And with the help of these steps and my higher power, and I do this work, then I get the spiritual awakening, and then I'm straightened out emotionally, mentally, and physically. Not the other way around. I can't skip to the end. Um, so that is um, a chapter that you really need to read in vigorous, vigorous detail. Um, there is a lot I have underlined in my book that talks about the different types of emotional pain we experience, um, the character flaws, and all of the things that result from our behavior, and the character defects that are a result of our behavior. And so um, the first thing that I'm going to post for now um, is, the, uh, is the resentment um, worksheet. So you guys can start working on who you're angry at or what you're angry at, institution, principle, or persons, um, what the, uh, they seemingly did to you that made you angry, what burnt you up. And you don't have to write, you know, a page on each resentment. Just real quick, you know, oh, they, uh, you know, they made me look bad. Or, you know, if you want to write a little longer on some people, then go ahead. But it doesn't have to be, you know, a book unless it's, you know, somebody that you're very close with. But most things um, that you think you're not resentful at, put it down. Because if you think you're not resentful, you're resentful. Uh, and then, you know, you're going to need to read the third, uh, the third column. The book has very little, the big book has very little information on that third column. I read about it just now at the bottom of 64 and 65. You need to learn the rest of what it is that's burning you, uh, burning you up inside by reading the fourth uh, step in the 12 and 12. And really get down to understanding that this whole third column is going to be what's in this essay. Everything that you... Uh, are disturbed by is in this third, excuse me, is in the third column and clearly detailed in step four of the 12 and 12. So remember, 20 years later, this book was written. So people didn't really understand what base instincts were and how they really affected us. So Bill wrote this essay so you could understand what it is that is bothering you and what's under threat. Um, so then if we go to page 65, we'll see that I'm not just making up these columns. This is in the literature as well. 
So if you go back to 65, it says we were usually as definite as this example. So he gives us, I'm resentful at, Mr. Brown, Mrs. Jones, my employer, my wife. So you want to write down all the you know people you resent resentful at first. You don't want to write across, you want to write downward. Because it's easier to just do make a list first before you start scrutinizing each each issue one at a time. It's a little harder and, and quite honest, overwhelming. So then you can, you know, once you have all the ones you can think of down on paper, you write the cause. So in this case, Mr. Brown, um, the cause of, of Bill's resentment is his attention to my wife, told my wife of my mistress, Brown may get my job at the office. Um, for Mrs. Jones, she's a nut. She snubbed me. She committed her husband for drinking. He's my friend. She's a gossip. His employer, unreasonable, unjust, overbearing, threatens to fire me for drinking and padding my expense account. And five, my wife misunderstands and nags, likes Brown, wants house put in her name. So those are the reasons that, you know, he's resentful, the causes of what they did. Okay, and now it affects what? Now we're in the third column. Now, forget the ones in parentheses for a second. I'll get into that in a minute. But it affects my sex relations, my self-esteem, my sex relations, my self-esteem, my security, my self-esteem, my personal relationship, my self-esteem, self-esteem, security, pride, personal sex relations, security. Those are nothing more than natural desires, base instincts. For power, money, and sex. Control, material, emotional security, and sex. Um, how we feel about ourselves is determined by how much money we have, how much prestige we have, how much pride we fill ourselves up with if we have a lot of sex and money. And these are things that become threatened. And that's the reason that Mr. Brown uh, isn't to blame. Mr. Brown may have done something wrong, but this isn't about what Mr. Brown did. This is about what Bill is finding about himself, not an inventory on Mr. Brown or Mrs. Jones or his employer or his wife. They're just a name on the list. So Mr. Brown may have paid attention to, to his wife, may have told his, uh, his wife about Bill's mistress. Okay, Browns now may get the job that uh, Bill works at, those are all things that were created by probably Bill, okay? But we don't know that yet. We just know what Brown did to Bill in Bill's mind. But we're not even on the next column yet. We're on the third column now, all right? There is a fourth column, but we're not there yet. We're on the third column. And the third column clearly says, that son of a bitch, Mr. Brown, affects my sex life. Okay, that's what Bill cares about. He doesn't care about what Bill did to him to make Mr. Brown retaliate in kind. All right, even if Bill didn't do anything at all, it doesn't matter. We're not, it has nothing to do with this exercise. Bill's sex life is under threat. Okay, his self esteem, you know, how he looks, all right, in his wife's eyes is under threat. All right, his relations is under threat with other people. Okay, and now his security is under threat. That son of a bitch, Brown's going to take my job. All right, we don't know the whole story and it doesn't matter. Okay, those are the things that we focus on in the third column. Nothing more, nothing less. What natural desires are under threat. And it can also be what you want. Now, I could have a whole bunch of money and someone could be coming after it. I could have no money and want it. And that's my ambition. But either way, it's a natural desire, whether it's being threatened or threat or deprived of me by another human being, seemingly. So that's what the third column is, and that's what the fourth step essay explains. So if you don't understand that third column, which is what I had the hardest time understanding, you're not going to be able to do the rest of the program. It does not matter how much you get on your knees and pray and have ask God to remove these resentments from you. They will not be removed if you don't understand and accept that you have self-will run riot instincts in your mind for more than you're entitled to or deserve on this earth. 
And that is the root cause of the disease in the mind is the out-of-whack instinct. It affects your soul and your soul can't heal when it's always obsessed like an animal for more. Okay, and so let's take it to another extreme. Let's say you've been deprived of power, money, and sex and you never get any. So you just decide you're not going to participate in those things. Well, you can't because God made you an, a, a human being and a human being as a mammal on this earth requires instincts. As long as you have a body and a mind, you can't ignore them. They're there. Whether you want too much or you're in self-pity because you don't have enough. So you can't say, fine, I won't participate in my instincts because God didn't intend it that way. Human beings, your whatever, aren't built that way. So what that means is, is that if you decide that I just won't go for any power, money, or sex, or get a job, or have a relationship, or, you know, I'll let people walk all over me, then you're in for another bit of trouble because your higher power doesn't want you to have nothing either. So you can see again how I'm explaining that there can be the greedy person who can't get enough. And then there's the person who doesn't want to have anything to do with life or its God-given instincts and ends up decaying away alone and isolated and not participating because maybe they're not, you know, in their head, not good looking enough or smart enough to acquire the goods that they see everyone else enjoying. That's the story they've told themselves. So they don't even bother trying to have relationships or... Or, or, or find a partner in life or get a job. So they become lazy and don't do anything and blame the world for their problems and for their lack of goods. And then, you know, you can also take it to the other extreme. Let's say you're a Hollywood movie star and you have good looks, money, power, and those people, you know, drink themselves to death too because they don't have enough, some of them. So, you know, you got to understand that our instincts, our base instincts are not tempered. They're not balanced. And once we put this down on paper, we start to see the causes and conditions of why we're emotionally warped and why each one of these situations causes a pattern in our lives. And then we go, oh, aha, I'm seeing this now. I'm the problem here. Wow. And without that aha moment, you don't get another spiritual experience. That spiritual experience can be described on page 49 at the bottom of step four in the 12 and 12. Um, at the very bottom of the page in the last paragraph, about three lines up, it says, once we have complete willingness to take inventory and exert ourselves to do the job thoroughly, a wonderful light falls upon this foggy scene. As we persist, a brand new kind of confidence is born and the sense of relief at finally facing ourselves is indescribable. These are the first fruits of step four. So when you're talking about an indescribable um, relief, that's a spiritual experience. And so don't let your pride and your fear prevent you from having this experience, A, and B, don't let your disease fool you into thinking you can skip it. Because you can't. If you, you can, but if you do, you're going to pay the consequences of not doing it. You can't have what I have as a recovered alcoholic without doing this. Um, and I thought the same way at first. I was terrified of it. Uh, I was in fear or I was full of pride. Um, I'm not admitting that. I'm not writing this down. I see it as a pointless exercise. You're just trying to make me feel worse than I already am. Well, that's just the pain that comes with writing this stuff down. But once you start getting into a rhythm, your higher power, if you're in a quiet room at a desk and you're left alone and you have these worksheets in front of you and you're filling them out, you will find that you will start to be very, it'll start pouring out of you. And that's exactly what your higher power expects of you to do in order for you to expect it to remove the alcoholic thinking. And, and, if with, and without your part in this, that is, this is your part. And without doing it, the book is telling us that we're not going to recover. So this isn't, you know, me. It's just me trying to communicate that to you. 
I don't want to sympathize with you and give you attention, tell you everything's going to be okay, because that's dishonest. If you don't do the work, everything is not going to be okay if you're a chronic alcoholic, and you're probably going to be miserable at the very least, or die at the very most. So, I mean, I, I don't really want that to happen to you if I can help. Um, and the only thing I know how to do is give some tough love in these podcasts and read the book and says this is where it says that. If you don't like what it says, or you don't agree with what it says, that's okay. That's your problem. That's not mine. But it is the program because it's written down in the books. And our books are the program, not other people's opinions. There's one AA program. I hate to say it, but there isn't five AA programs. There's one AA program. And it's very precise, and it's in the books. You just need someone to help you understand it and tie it together because Every group has that miserable person who's so good at convincing them, the, the rest of the group, that they're doing the program when they're not, and that, that you know, they're just giving lip service all the time. And, and, and they're teaching a different alternative program because they don't even understand this one or don't want to because they're in charge of the group and everyone's afraid of them. You know, your higher power has more power than that egomaniac. Because I'll tell you, for every one of them, there's a thousand dead voices who would love to come out of their graves and tell everybody in there that's alive that this son of a bitch is wrong. Okay? Because you're going to have that guy in every room. And so, don't listen to him. Tolerate him or her. But don't take their direction if they can't show it to you in the book. And if that's the best advice I can give out of this whole podcast, then that's the best advice I hope you take. So we're not done with this. Um, we've discussed how it works and the essay in step four. But I'm going to go back to uh, this in the next podcast because now we need to go to the fourth column. We've just discussed the first three columns. And so now as your homework assignment, you need to read the rest of how it works in page 65 through 71. And you also need to read step four. And I say read, I mean study. And then in the next podcast, I'll tie that together so you can see how Bill um, is talking about the, uh, the fourth step here. In, in, in extreme detail. Um, and then we can go into um, how we present that to another person. But we're not, we're not, we're not there yet. There's um, other inventories that need to be written, but we're just starting with the resentment inventory for now. And then there's going to be uh, other inventories um, or categories. And resentment is category one, if you will. There's a total of... Um, four categories that we're going to do this exact same spreadsheet on. So you've got four categories, four different spreadsheets, and they all have the same four columns. So now I'm actually giving you tangible, understandable homework that you can actually do and that the book is detailing on how to do. So I just created these spreadsheets that I got through. I didn't create them. I got them through... Um, Another guy, uh, Joe and Charlie, these, um, if you Google the Joe and Charlie tapes, you'll hear about these two gentlemen who went around the world teaching the 12 steps. So they're very reputable. They've written many books on the program. As outlined in the big book, I can't even hold a candle to what these guys have done. So I highly recommend you listen to them as well. Um, one book I do recommend is The Steps We Took by Joe McHugh. Um, this is where those spreadsheets are on how to do a resentment inventory. Um, and then there's three other kinds of inventories I'll explain in the next podcast. But uh, if you're starting to do the work and you've made your decision to do the work, there are certain things you're going to have to start doing. And getting the steps we took by Joe McHugh is uh, a, something I would hope you would buy and immediately on Amazon. And then you'll see that's where the worksheets um, that I'm uploading to the Dropbox are coming from. Because if you look at the, the worksheet in, um, and how it works, it's very clear that it's a worksheet. I mean, it's, three, four, it's four columns. The one in brackets, um, which I told you to ignore for the time being, um, is the fourth column. But these books were written in 39. They only had enough room to write um, 
um, on the margins. So he put fear in uh, in in um, in parentheses. Okay, that's just one character defect. Um, the next page, he actually puts the rest of them in a paragraph. So how would you know that if you didn't know that this worksheet is complete but incomplete at the same time? Because we're not making this up. We're just tying it into one resource so you can jot it all down without, you know, trying to write an essay or not understanding that Bill did intend for you to write a worksheet here. There's three columns right there. The fourth column doesn't fit on the page, so he writes about the fourth column on the next page, which I'll talk about in a moment. In a moment. I mean, in the next podcast. Um, but for now, um, we've talked about enough for today, so please um, do what you need to do um, as far as the reading is concerned, and um, I'll upload the resentment inventory. Um, so you can take a look at the kind of worksheet that I'm discussing um, and explaining in the podcast as it relates to the books. All right, so uh, God bless, and may the work begin, and may the solution um, start to, uh, to work in your life. God bless. God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, the courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference.